Project would like to invite you to become a member of the BTR Community subscription-based social media platform. BTR Community is a platform that was set up for the listening audience of Black Talk Radio Network, the number one independent black radio network online. For just $24 per year, your subscription gives you access to an interactive space to share information with like-minded people with your privacy guaranteed. Your subscription will go a long way to help us maintain and improve our current media platforms. It will also help provide a budget so that we can begin the task of establishing localized media centers and radio stations across the United States. The best way to show your support and appreciation for what we do here at Black Talk Radio is to subscribe. Help us to help you be informed. Join btrcommunity.com today. Views and opinions expressed by callers, guests, and hosts do not necessarily reflect those of the Black Talk Radio Network and Black Talk Media Project. Black Talk Radio is new black media for the new millennium. Another broadcast of Black Talk Radio News. My name is Scotty Reed. I'm broadcasting from behind the enemy lines of USA Inc. It is a Monday afternoon, or excuse me, it's a Monday evening, just a minute after 6 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. It's August the 27th, 2018, as I bring this broadcast to you. Lots to talk about, as every day there's always something going on. Let me go ahead and tell you what we will be discussing today. Uh, today is day seven of the National Prison Strikes Against Slavery, as codified in the U.S. Constitution in the 13th Amendment, which says involuntary, excuse me, slavery and involuntary servitude shall be abolished except as a punishment for crime. And those who get punished have been duly convicted. So um, we'll be covering day seven of the prison strikes and also John McCain's sanitized news coverage. So like I said, we're on day seven of the national prison strike against slavery here in the U.S. And overall news coverage has been more than expected. In my opinion, I did not expect as much news coverage is being given to the strikes because last year there there really wasn't any coverage at all. 
uh, other than, you know, of course, this network and a couple of other independent networks. It might have been a mention in a paper here or there, but nothing like this year's coverage. I mean, this year you even have international press. You've also had a number of mainstream outlets here based in the United States uh, provide ample coverage and they continue to cover it. However, the Black Talk Media Project, which is the nonprofit that set up the Black Talk Radio Network, it's a nonprofit that was created because there is a void that needs to be filled in terms of terrestrial radio. Most of the FM AM radio that targets black people today is basically either rap music or gospel music. Very little, if any, talk radio stations. Well, there there's a station out of Chicago that's devoted um, most of its programming to discussing issues in politics and what have you. But other than that, you'll be hard-pressed to find other terrestrial stations. Uh, there's a couple in Virginia that I, that I know of. Um, one of our network partners, Tanya Free and Friends uh, talk show, they were on um a black owned radio station that was in Virginia, but they changed stations there with a gospel station that I guess is which is a good thing, including talk radio, uh political commentary and social issues in their programming. So that's that's a good thing. That's a good thing. However, the Black Talk Media Project and I speak as the founder and president of the Black Talk Media Project remains disappointed in the black press and black journalists who are underrepresented in informing their audiences and followers on social media. Now, we often hear these complaints that black people need to be in charge of telling their own stories. And while this issue of slavery, as the 13th Amendment calls it, doesn't call it mass incarceration, which doesn't exist, doesn't call it mass imprisonment, which doesn't ex exist with less than 2% of the population being in prison or on parole. Um, but what we're dealing with is slavery. And while this issue of slavery isn't a color-coded issue, it affects all people, but it does affect black people, particularly black Americans, the most. So you would expect the black press whether they're working in the mainstream or whether they got lost their programs on the mainstream because over the past couple of years, a couple of black news comment commentators or people who hosted shows on TV have lost their uh, programs. Roland Martin, for one, they used to have a, a show, I think it was News One. News One Now might have been the name of the program. Of course, they killed that program um, so now Roland Martin's on on YouTube and just doing you know his thing going on YouTube. But I would expect the black press to be at the forefront of reporting since it impacts uh, black Americans more than other groups, not just our group, but more than anyone. Um, I think I've heard Max say one in three black ch uh, children are expected to go to prison at some point in their life. So you would think this prison strike would be at the forefront of the minds of black journalists and it just is not. So Black Talk Media Project is very disappointed in the state of black media today. Perhaps the blackout in the black press will lift 
with MSNBC host and civil rights activist Al Sharpton covering the story in what I thought was a very competent way on his um, MSNBC program that comes on Sunday mornings. I think it come on like seven o'clock in the morning, some crazy hour. And, but I was able to check it out on the website, MSNBC Politics Nation. It's also uh, been posted to YouTube. And I'm hoping that Al Sharpton, since he's the first black person that's in, you know, corporate media, he's the first black person to, to cover this story, even though it was a very short segment, it was a very informative segment. Um, we're hoping that that will lead to the lift of the so-called or the, um, the presumed blackout in the black press. It's just very disappointing as a person who is very interested and knows the history and the importance of black media, uh, especially when it comes to issues that are impacting us. It's just very disappointing to see the blackout by black media. Senator John McCain died after stopping medical treatment. It's been nonstop coverage of that since he passed away over the weekend. Um, he stopped his medical treatment. He was suffering from a, a brain tumor, some type of cancer. Now, most of the coverage has been sanitized with the liberal uses of the word hero, patriot, and most oddly, a warrior for peace, according to Congressman John Lewis. Yes, that John Lewis from the Civil Rights Movement, who after Dr. King was murdered, uh, found his way into uh, the U.S. Congress and has been serving in the U.S. Congress for a very long time. And, you know, John Lewis has disappointed many people for many years. And for him to call John McCain a warrior for peace, it just makes you wonder if John Lewis has lost his mind. So today I want to briefly address the propaganda a political politeness in the wake of one of the system cogs dying. We see this all the time. Men, not women so much. I can't remember any time some prominent woman politician has has died and laid in state at the uh, Capitol Rotunda of Congress in Washington, D.C. I, I just can't recall right now of any prominent women uh, passing away and then everybody, you know, pretty much whitewash their legacy. So I'm calling it the propaganda of political politeness. Now, you don't have to be nasty. You don't have to be belligerent. But I think that we should be truthful. I know it's customary, you know, no, you wouldn't go to a person's funeral and if they ask if anybody has any words or you're the keynote speaker at this person's home going, you don't get up there and bad mouth the person. You don't get up there and bad mouth the policy. That's just, I mean, the uh, family. This is not appropriate. It's a time and a place for everything. But in terms of the news media, we often hear that good news outlets are objective. They're not there to make the news. They're there to report the news. And I've watched some of the coverage primarily on, on CNN. 
I've seen stuff that's been shared online and it's all been sanitized. Everybody has nothing but good things to say about uh, Senator John McCain. Nothing but, and, and I'm attributing that to the propaganda of political plight, politeness that you want to be so polite that you can't keep it real. And I feel like I was just watching a little bit of CNN right before I came on air. And it was a segment where they was bashing Donald Trump. Now, granted, John McCain was a veteran. He was U.S. Sen senator. Okay. Usually when someone like that passes away, they do lower the flag. That's just tradition, customary. I don't think it's required. But, I mean, it, it's, it's just... It's protocol, you know, to fly the flag at half staff until that person has, has been buried or interned. Um, so Donald Trump could have handled that according to standard protocol. But the segment that I saw, the media was trying to badger Donald Trump. And y'all know I do not defend Donald Trump. I'm just being objective and observant. But I felt like they were trying to badger Donald Trump into saying, issuing this long, flowery statement, buckets and buckets of words. And he issued out a tweet and he was just saying, okay, I respect the man's service and what. It, it was maybe two lines, maybe two sentences, might only been one sentence. Now, we know that the two did not like each other. Um, Donald Trump especially didn't like him after um, he voted no to repeal the Affordable Care Act. So Donald Trump didn't like him because uh, of that and perhaps some other reason. I think John McCain probably rightly did call out Donald Trump for his language and his behavior and whatnot. So we know the two didn't like each other. I mean, even uh, John McCain said he don't want this man coming to none of his services and, and speaking or, or anything. He didn't even want him in attendance. So we know the two men didn't like each other. So, I mean, what? Y'all want Donald Trump to be phony? I'm, I, I, you know, y'all want him to be phony? I'm speaking about the media. Y'all want him to issue this flowery statement, buckets and buckets of word, calling the man a hero after you know that he don't look at John McCain as no hero. And neither do I, but, you know, it's just this sanitized, sanitizing people who have terrible, 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 terrible human rights records, okay? So, uh, you know, again, there's a time and a place for everything, but I feel like with all of this sanitized coverage, oh, you, you, you're just doing revisionist history. If I was a middle school student today and what have you and in history class or civics class or whatever and a teacher asked you about the coverage that you saw about John McCain, you, th you would think this man was one of the greatest humanitarians to walk the earth since MLK or, or Malcolm X. No, no, he was not. Man was a war criminal. He was a constant warmonger. Plenty of people have died as a result of the policies that he supported. And I feel like the media should reflect that. It should be balanced coverage. I'm not saying just bash the man, but 
you know, have balanced coverage and give the other point of view. So, so those are some of the things, the main topics that I want to discuss today, the sanitized coverage of John McCain and prison strike day seven. Now, before I get into that, please continue to support the Black Talk Media Project. You can make a donation by going to blacktalkradionetwork.com. You'll see um, any a, a number of different um, links that will allow you to make a PayPal donation. You will also find an address. Our address is Black Talk Media Project, P.O. Box 65, Mount Holly, North Carolina, 28120. You can also support our mission by becoming a paid subscriber to btrcommunity.com. That's btrcommunity.com, just $24 a year. Now, before I get into those two main topics about day seven of the prison strikes and John McCain's sanitized coverage, there are a couple of news items that I would like to share with you. This first article came to my attention um, what was brought to my attention by Dave or Tando Radio Show. He just briefly went over the headline, but I, I want to get a little more in depth with this story. This story comes to you from uh, PressTV.com. That is a Iranian uh, state media outlet. Um, reading it, it was very objective. Um, it came out today, uh, early this morning. Uh, Mattis, U.S. military to step up South America role amid power competition with China goes to headline. Uh, of course, uh, Jim Mattis, I don't know if his first name is Jim or James or, or whatever, but he is the U.S. Defense Secretary, and he recently spoke at the Brazilian War College, which is in Rio de, uh, Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. He spoke earlier this month on August the 14th, and uh, the news of what he's talked about came out today. Um, at least uh, Press TV is reporting it today. It could have came out in some other um, outlets. But let me read this article to you, because it just really gave me the giggles, right? You know, Giggles, not funny, ha-ha, but giggles, man, y'all just bald-faced liars. The U.S. military plans to take on a more active role in South America amid a growing power competition, Defense Secretary Jim Mattis said, fresh off a trip where he warned allies of China's predatory economics. Let me read that again. And by the way, I, I'm sorry, I don't have my stuff together. The telephone number, if you want to comment on any other stories or be a part of the uh, discussion on our main topics, is 704-802-5056. Hit star star to unmute yourself. Just watch your background noise, please. Let me read that that again. Because it just, it's it's like, are you serious? But yes, they're, they're serious. We know all these people lie don't have a problem telling lies. They just lies roll off their tongue like, like water rolls off a cliff. Uh, the U.S. military plans to take on a more active role in South America amid a growing power competition. Defense Secretary Jim Mattis said fresh off a trip where he warned allies of China's 
predatory, and this is in quotations, predatory economics. Speaking at the 140th National Guard Association of the United States Conference in New Orleans, Louisiana, Mattis said over the weekend that the U.S. National Guard was ready to link the U.S. military to South American allies. So what we're seeing here is a further expansion. It's not enough that you already got more bases in the military bases than anywhere else in the world. You got your intelligence services agents all over the world. You got your U.S. consulates and, and um, your embassies all over the world. It, it's just not enough. They need to expand it. They need to expand it. I wonder who's going to pay for that. Yeah, you and your children. Um, but yeah, uh, it's saying that this department is laser focused on strengthening alliances and building new partnerships, the Pentagon chief said. This is not a one-time mission, and the Guard is uniquely suited to sustain ally efforts over many years thanks to the amount of corporate continuity you maintain in your ranks, he added. Corporate continuity, key word there, corporate continuity. Now, when we're talking about the National Guard, so they're not talking about the U.S. Army or, or the Marine Corps. They're not talking about the Navy or the Air Force. They're talking about the National Guard, okay? The, you may have heard the term weekend warriors associated uh, with them. I'm not sure. I was never in the Guard. I was in uh, regular Army for six years. But I think they have to go two weeks out of the month, not two weeks, two weeks out of the year for training. But I think they might have to go once uh you know, one weekend out of the month, you know, to do whatever. All right. I could be wrong about that, but it's not full time. So sounds like they're going to use them to deploy them overseas. And I guess when he talking about the corporate continuity, I was reading, um, I think it was some kind of special day or designated day or something like that. And they were thanking the corporations for, um, you know, allowing these National Guard people to miss time on their jobs so they can, they can go play war, you know, go play war games or whatnot, or go be weekend soldiers or whatever. Um, so maybe that's what he's talking about with the corporate continuity that they maintain in their ranks. <laughs> now, earlier this month, it's reported that Mattis toured the region, again, talking about South America, made stops in Brazil, uh, Chile, Argentina, and Colombia. Earlier this month, uh, let me see, it says in Brazil, the Pentagon chief highlighted Washington's interest in partnering, partnering with Brazil in space research, an area that has been increasing interest from Chinese firms in South America. So that's Donald Trump Space Force again. Oh man. We choose Brazil not because it lies along the equator in a happy accident of geography. I don't know what that means. But because we want to work with Brazilians, our hemispheric neighbors 
whose values we share politically as well as your impressive technological orientation, Mattis said in Brazil. Others cannot credibly say the same. Now, I'm going to do an interview with my cousin who uh, spent some years in China. She just got back, and she was telling me they technology in China. I mean, just the average, everyday citizen. The technology that, that is in that society is far, far ahead of what we're doing. And yes, we did discuss the facial recognition technology and what have you. So, um, yeah, that'll be on Friday. She uh, got back with me today. Uh, we want to talk about China's moves in particularly Africa and the African presence in China because, you know, we keep hearing about China's invading Africa and all this, and I don't think we should use those military terms because they're not invading with their military. They, you know, they're not doing what the United States is doing, but they are being invited in. They're investing in African infrastructure. But she told me, though, that there's two cities up there that have a very high presence of African students going there to go to school, okay, uh, to get work on their master's degree. She said them Africans that she, you know, talked to over there were very, very, very highly educated, saying some of them working on, you know, like their third degree or something. So anyway, didn't mean to go off on that tangent, but while I was on my mind, that interview will come up on Friday. All right, so he goes on to say generally proceed as a, well, let me say this, though. When he talks about what they share politically, that's capitalism. They also share history of racism and slavery. Um, lots of, not, I shouldn't say lots of news, but there has been news that I've been privy to. Some shared on uh, different programs on this network, shared on btrcommunity.com, social media platform. But, you know, you have racism, problems with racism in Brazil. They also have extreme poverty. They have a, a big old gap in the wealth distribution over there as well. So he's telling the truth on that. He is definitely telling the truth. You know, it was a big deal made about them spending all that money to host the Olympics and then even tearing down um, neighborhoods where poor people lived to make way for the Olympics that was hosted in Rio uh, de Janeiro. I believe that was uh, the last Olympics was in was in hosted by Brazil. I might be wrong, but I think it was hosted by Brazil. So yeah, he he is absolutely correct that they do share a lot politically and historically. He didn't mention historically, but outside, I don't know. I think Brazil's population of descendants of victims of slavery probably outnumber the victims here in the United States. Most of the victims who were taken from the African continent winded up in Brazil and then, you know, uh, spread throughout the Caribbean and, of course, here in the United States. But the United States pretty much uh, bred the, uh, the largest part of his victims. They, you know, they were homegrown victims of slavery, born right here, you know, from about 100,000, maybe 200,000 
uh, Africans that was initially brought here. All right. So, but they bred them like cattle, like property. That's what chattel means. Bred like property. So yeah, lots in common there. Um, it said, he went on to say, we understand the message China was sending that they could take out a satellite in space. He said, referring to China's targeting of one of his own satellites in 2007. I mean, what, what, is, what is China supposed to do though? You know, everybody posed to, um, you know, not work on being able to defend their countries against the United States. And I say the United States because I can think of no other countries that have engaged in uh, regime change and bombing campaigns of, of as many nations as the United States has. Okay? So, man, like like all these other nations is supposed to ignore their defenses and, yeah, just leave yourself open to uh, being invaded or bombed, you know, out of existence like they did Libya. Um, it says, nations without allies die. Now, that's a quote we talked about today on Tando Radio Show, briefly talked about, you know, that nations need allies. Anybody who has studied war, and I actually had a dialogue with somebody who got mad at me. They said they studied military science, and I told them, well, you might have studied it, but I lived it, okay, for six years. And you need allies in war. Okay, you need allies in war. I don't care what type of war you're talking about. You need international allies. Uh, Black Panther revolutionaries understood this. Malcolm X stood, understood this. That's why he went on his world tour. Um, Martin Luther King Jr. was coming around to understanding it before he was murdered. Um, it goes on to say the U.S. National Guard was has established close military ties with U.S. allies across the world through the State Partnership Program, or SPP. Administered by the National Guard Bureau, the 25-year-old program is designed around the Defense Department and State Department's policy goals. The program involves 75 countries, 24 of them located in South America. The SPP is slated to welcome two new countries later this year, Brazil, with the New York National Guard and Qatar with the West Virginia National Guard. Now, when I was in uh, the Gulf War, we did, again, I was regular Army for six years. We did run into a lot of National Guard uh, troops, um, you know, because I was in um, a battalion that was the largest communications battalion that the U.S. Army ever had and we built the largest tactical network in the history of warfare during the Gulf War so we had to move around a little bit I was sort of in a supervisory role so I um, did you know go to site to site to site you know just checking out stuff and what have you um, so ran into a lot of National Guard's uh, troops so anyway I'm, I'm gonna leave it there this is just a uh, military industrial complex. They got to figure out how to spend all that money that was just allocated to the military budget at the expense of social programs, at the expense of education, you know, at the expense of the American people. Um, yeah, all that money that's going to wind up in the pockets of 
the stockholders of the military industrial complex, these civilian uh, companies. Now, what really killed me, though, was China's predatory economics. They really said that, right? His, the predatory economics. Now, if I, I don't know if you all have read the book or saw the uh, documentary Confessions of an Economic Hitman, John Perkins, an American, but you that's what made me laugh. And then, you know, you think predatory economics, what's being practiced in black and brown communities with these payday loan uh, places and what have you, charging exorbitant, exorbitant rates, you know, for little small loans that people get, like if their light's going to get cut off and they might have a baby or elderly person that's on some kind of uh, machine that requires electricity. So, you know, those type of people, you know, they, they taking out short-term loans. Man, they kill you with the interest rates and they're referred to as predatory loans. Well, that's pretty much what the United States does to all non-white nations around the world through its partners like the World Bank. So I'm going to let you listen to this clip about predatory let me pull it up. Let me just a second. I'll give you the name of the clip. It is posted. It is posted in btrcommunity.com. It's uh, titled Economic Hitman. Economic Hitman. All right, so let's play it. Majority of the people who are too poor to buy electricity. Having some trouble. Give me just a second. We economic hitmen have managed to create the world's first truly global empire, and it's basically a secret empire. We do it many ways, but, but, but principally, uh, we identify a country that has resources our corporations covet, like oil, range a huge loan to that country from the World Bank or one of its sisters. The money never actually goes to the country. It goes to our own corporations to build big infrastructure projects in that country that help a few very wealthy people but don't benefit the majority of the people who are too poor to buy electricity or have cars to drive on the highways, and yet they're left holding a huge debt that they can't repay. So we go back at some point and say, you know, you can't pay your debts. Give us a pound of flesh. Sell your oil real cheap to our oil companies. Vote with us on the next critical UN vote. Allow us to build a military base in your backyard. Something along these lines. And when we fail... The jackals go in and either overthrow or assassinate these leaders. And if the jackals fail, as they did in, in, in Iraq, then we send in the military. I don't think the failure is capitalism. I think it's a specific kind of capitalism that we've developed. We've created what I consider a mutant viral form of capitalism. And this mutant form of capitalism, which I think is really a predatory form of capitalism, has created an extremely unstable, unsustainable, unjust, and, and very, very dangerous world. Uh, I've met a lot of terrorists. I've interviewed them for books. I've never met one who wanted to be a terrorist. They're desperate people. If we want to get rid of terrorism, we must get rid of the root causes, that cancer that is destroying our whole system. Because I think it's really important that we understand today we cannot have homeland security unless we understand that the whole planet is our homeland. 
So that's John Perkins, a white American who did this for a living. Now he came out with a book about it. It's been made into um, documentary and what have you. Uh, he doesn't seem to be too remorseful about it. But, it, you know, he's telling the truth about it. But isn't that what we just heard from that article from uh, Press TV uh, of General Mattis telling the Brazilians what we about to do to you? And then got the nerve to call it China, uh, saying China practices predatory economics, okay? We've known that the U.S. government through the World Bank and the International Monetary Fund has been preying on the people and the resources of Africa for quite some time and other Asian com countries as well, just not China. Um, okay, so because, you know, China's not allowing it to happen to them. So it'll be a very interesting conversation I plan to have again, but this time on air with my cousin, who just left China because, you know, she was saying that, you know, don't think that China isn't engaged in some exploitation, but they're not doing anything like what the United States is, has been known to do. So I just thought that was interesting um, for Mattis to go over there talking about China practices, predatory economics. I don't know the terms of the loans that, um, or if they're even loans or, or if they are, um, trading resources uh, that China's relationship with the various African countries, but you know, China has also uh, invested money in South America as well, or invested resources in South America. All right, I'm gonna leave that story alone uh, before we get to the top of the hour again. Um, my main topic, what I want to get into day seven of the prison strike and John McCain sanitized news coverage, but a couple of other important stories that I want to get to uh, as well. Uh, let me see. We got this story from, I'm going to play this clip from YouTube. Um, it's from Democracy Now. In case you have not heard, the, Demo the DNC, which is the Democratic National Committee, they are the ones who rigged their primary last year in order to uh, you know, put the crown on Hillary Clinton's privileged head. And there was a major revolt against that when it, you know, and one of the complaints was about the super delegates. These are people who are elected to office, party bosses, uh, corporate scallywags who are in the Democratic Party, and they get super delegate votes to, to see who has the nomination. And there's a big push against that because, I mean, that, that's and their votes carry more weight than the regular voter who would then vote in the primaries. And so, you know, DNC, Debbie Wasserman Schultz ended up resigning when certain documents were made known how they were tipping the scales about balance in a very undemocratic way. So, um, so now they are saying that they're going to limit the superdelegate power. They're not getting rid of, of superdelegates as some articles I saw over the past couple of days falsely put out there. They're not getting rid of superdelegates. They're going to quote unquote limit their power. So let me play this to give you some background. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, the War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. We turn now to the future of the Democratic Party. 
After a major debate, Democrats have voted on a key progressive demand after the 2016 campaign to vastly reduce the power of superdelegates in choosing the party's presidential nominee. The vote passed to a huge ovation and cheers on Saturday. All those in favor, say aye. aye. Opposed? The ayes overwhelmingly have it, and the report and the charge, the call, is adopted. Saturday's vote of the DNC, the Democratic National Committee in Chicago, officially barred the superdelegates from voting on the first ballot to choose the party's presidential nominee unless a candidate has secured a majority of the convention using only pledged delegates whose votes are earned during the primary process. The vote to limit the influence of superdelegates comes after the 2016 race for Democratic nominee between Senator Bernie Sanders and former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton. It pitted many DNC members who supported the change against two former party chairs and members of the Congressional Black Caucus. For more, we're joined by uh, someone who was there for what DNC chair Tom Perez is calling a historic vote. Norman Solomon, national coordinator of Roots Action, a Bernie Sanders delegate from California to the 2016 Democratic National Convention, where he coordinated the Independent Bernie Delegates Network, also executive director of Institute for Policy for Public Accuracy. It was historic and very exciting not only to be in the room when that vote was taken, but in the days ahead of that vote, uh, out with people from my colleagues at RootsAction.org, Progressive Democrats of America and elsewhere, picketing with that message that really is the gist, Democratic Party, live up to your name. And this was, I think, a tremendous victory that came not from the top out of the goodness of any hearts of those at the uh, a pinnacle of power of the Democratic Party, but from the base, the grassroots, people who have been angry, who have been organizing, especially in the last two years, to say that superdelegate power and leverage over the nomination process has to go. I want to go to former DNC chair. Don Fowler, describing his opposition to restricting the power of superdelegates, speaking during an interview with the Chicago Sun-Times. We're going to prohibit 200 African Americans, 100 Latinos, dozens of LGBTQ uh, uh, people, and others from voting. These We're are, taking the vote away from these people. To, to is former interim Democratic National Committee Chair Donna Brazil describing her opposition to curbing the power of superdelegates in an interview with the Chicago Sun-Times. The question is whether or not automatic or, or so-called superdelegates, and we're, there's nothing super about us, will be able to vote on the first ballot. Uh, the position of many in the party is that we deserve, uh, those of us who are unpledged delegates, we deserve to have a voice in the process. And whether it's at the table with a vote or behind the scenes, uh, raising money for candidates or taking candidates around, we believe that automatic delegates uh, should continue to play a role because we're part of the sauce. We're part of the sauce for victory. That was former... Oh, okay, I'm going to leave it there. Uh, let me read this tweet from Donna Brazil. Democrats voted to remove automatic delegates from the first round of voting, but we still have seats at the table. We are still in the room and very much capable of setting the menu. Now, what she was talking about there is what the DNC argued in response to a lawsuit that was filed against them uh, by voters, Democratic voters, 
and people who donated money to uh, mostly the Bernie Sanders campaign and finding out about the rigged process that it was already rigged from Jump Street. You know, financial deals was made with the Hillary Clinton campaign to pay off the DNC's debt. And, you know, it taught, and they argued, this is what they argued in court now in public um, filings that the DNC has rights, has a right to choose its candidates in smoke-filled back rooms if they want to. That, that, you know, I'm kind of paraphrasing it, but that's the they did say smoke-filled back rooms. They really said that. So, you know, um, that guy was being disingenuous, disingenuous. You heard that the Black Political Caucus wanted to get rid of the superdelegates and most of the grassroots people who fought for this, who were cheated, in the 2016 uh, Democratic primary, which was a fraud, which was a fraud. So her saying, her also saying that we deserve to have a voice. Well, you can register to vote and vote in in your state primary, just like if I was going to uh, vote in a primary, you know, here in North Carolina, uh, if you are, uh, if you are, you can choose what primary you want to vote in. Either you can't vote in both the Republican and the Democratic primary. You can go to the voting poll, and if you're going to vote in the primary, just tell them which ballot you want. It doesn't matter if you're registered Republican, Democrat, or Independent. And I talked about this years ago in my early days of, of radio and saying that, you know, perhaps we should infiltrate. Republican primaries and vote for the least racist Republican in the primary, <laughs> okay? And so that they'll get the nomination and then, you know, it'll be an open contest in the general. I, I, I actually suggested that as a, a codified strategy years ago and what have you. Um, but they, they still are going to be able to vote. Okay, so her saying, oh, you're taking votes away, and that guy saying, you're taking vote, are these people votes away? No, no, they're not. No, they're not. I mean, they can vote in a primary just like everybody else. But don't be fooled, though. Don't be fooled. Like she states, they removed the automatic delegates, but they still got uh, we. She said, we still have seats at the table. We are still in the room and very much capable upsetting the menu, meaning picking who the candidate is going to be. She just open with it, man. This is the woman who got fired from CNN because when there was a debate between Bernie Sanders and um, Hillary Clinton, her and Roland Martin gave Hillary Clinton's campaign the debate questions ahead of time and didn't give the... Uh, debate questions ahead of time so that they can get in their practice to the Sanders campaign. And CNN was saying, you know, you ain't supposed to do that. Nobody's supposed to know. But Donna Brazile, and it was revealed in some of her emails, uh, you know, that she had access to them and it was a conspiracy to give the questions to Hillary Clinton. Donna Brazile is as corrupt as they come, okay? And she's a former interim uh, DNC chairman because Debbie Wasserman Schultz got fired 
you know, she got ousted when all was revealed that they was rigging the process. Now, my question is, when Donna Brazil says we, who is the we? And we still have seats at the table. She ain't talking about black people. Again, the black political caucus in a rare move of integrity said that, no, we, we agree with the people. The we ain't we the people. You know, all, as the Panthers used to say, all power to the people. No, that's not what she talking about. She talking about the privileged boule class if we're talking about black folks or we're talking about these corporate cronies. All right, so I thought that was some news worth, worth sharing for those who do pay attention to politics, which I do because... When Mr. Fuller talks about the different uh, people activity areas, politics controls every area. They regulate every area. Any kind of relief that non-white people have gotten have come through a political process. And so that's why I pay attention to politics. All right, um, next story that I want to share with you and then we'll get into um Day seven of the prison strike against slavery here in the United States. This goes to Spike Lee. Spike Lee responds to Boots Riley's critique of black Klansmen. Spike said, we need the police. That's what he said. Now, I don't necessarily think that we need police or as I call them in the system of slavery, slave catchers, we do need peace officers. We need what's called peace officers who are there to keep the peace. That's their primary charge is to keep the peace in the community, to mediate disputes and what have you, uh, and not be slave catchers, not be ticket writer, writing tax collectors, collecting extra taxes on the people as a revenue generator. But Spike says we need the police. Now, Boots Riley is also a filmmaker. He's just not as well known as Spike Lee. And he penned a detailed critique of Spike's latest film, which is out now, Black Klansman with three Ks, Black Klansman. And I'll read a little bit to you from thegrapevine.theroot.com. It says, more than a week after director and musician Boots Riley delivered a pointed and detailed critique of Black Cransman and his portrayal of police officers, filmmaker Spike Lee has a response. Now, I was just tweeting at um, Roland Martin the other day. Now, I watched the interview that Spike Lee did on Roland Martin's YouTube channel because, remember, he, got, he doesn't have a mainstream show anymore so he's he's going to YouTube following the advice that I gave out to all of these black commentators they get dismissed from these uh, mainstream white dominated platforms hey you got name recognition you who knows how much money you done made in all the times you know it ain't like you start why don't you start your own platforms why don't y'all get together and start your own platform so you know he's going through YouTube and he created his own YouTube channel. So I watched part of that interview and it was pretty much like a softball interview. He didn't ask him any tough questions, any relevant questions because he probably didn't do any research 
on uh, the man Ron Stallworth, the black cop who infiltrated, quote unquote, infiltrated the Ku Klux Klan. And so Riley, Boots Riley, the black filmmaker, shared the three-page criticism on Twitter on August the 17th, citing Lee as a huge influence on his own filmmaking, but arguing that Lee's latest film, inspired by Ron Stallworth, a black cop who infiltrated the Ku Klux Klan, leaned into untrue elements that make a cop a hero against racism. And, it, and, it, and that's very valid criticism as who do you think was enforcing the Fugitive Slave Act? Who do you think was enforcing the what's known as the Jim Crow laws or the black codes targeting black people? The police were. Of course they were. Okay? So they have been the guardians of white supremacy slash racism and the primary slave catchers in this society. So Boots Riley is is that's a very on point critique of the film. And as I said, he goes on to say, it's a made up story in which the false parts of it to try to make a cop the protagonist in the fight against racist oppression, he wrote, is being put out there while Black Lives Matter is a discussion, and this is not coincidental. There is a viewpoint behind it. Riley also called out Lee for his work consulting on an NYPD ad campaign allegedly aimed at improving relations with quote-unquote minority communities at job for which he was paid more than $200,000, almost a quarter of a million dollars to consult on a propaganda ad to make the police look like they not slave catchers. And we're talking to NYPD, one of the most notorious bunch of slave catchers in the nation or in the world. Whether it, and and like I said, when he was talking about a made up story, like I said, and this was about another film that was supposed to come out about these African women warriors. And I said, well, if this is based on, um, I forget the name of, of, what is the name of that particular tribe? The Kingdom of the Homie. The way I remember it is, you remember Homie the Clown or how we say to each other, what's up, homie? That's how I remember the name of that kingdom, the Kingdom of the Homies, all right? And they were some of the biggest slave-catching Africans on the continent. And one of their kings had said that, you know, when the British finally went to disband the transatlantic slave trade, and they told him that, look, we're not going to allow this slave trade to continue anymore. And he basically started whining, talking about, but... Uh, the homie mothers sing songs to our babies about enslaving our enemies. Were they talking about their enemies, the Europeans or the Arabs? No, they were talking about other Africans. And those women were primarily used to catch all the, and, and the number, and the average age of these victims of slavery was around 16. So they used these women, some of them captured from these other tribes to capture victims to sell the Europeans. And so I was saying, see, this this is Hollywood 
playing black folks, starving for recognition or validation from Hollywood. And they're basing something on a true story, but it ain't the whole story. It's just to make you feel good, like the Black Panther, Wakanda. You know what I'm saying? Ain't based in reality. It's just something to make you feel good and, and spend your money. So I agree with him with Boots Riley. It's a made-up story in which the false parts of it to try to make a cop the protagonist in the fight against racist oppression now. One of the things that Boots Riley also pointed out, and I'm going to leave it there on this article, but one of the things that he did point out was this guy used to be an FBI informer infiltrating black organizations during the black power movement, during the civil rights era, simultaneous era, era. just people give it different names because you did, you know, New when you're talking about the Republic of New Africa, when you're talking about um, BLA, Black Liberation Army, when you're talking Black Panthers, they're, they're known as being part of the Black Power Movement. All right, I think Kwame Kure, Ture is the one who coined the phrase Black Power. But if you're talking Dr. King, if you're talking um, SPLC, then you're talking Civil Rights Movement. Okay, so, so, during that period, this guy, Ron Stallworth, was one of them FBI informants. He wasn't an FBI agent. He was a local cop, but he worked as an informant, probably got extra butter biscuits in addition to his local cop pay. And so that's a huge omission right there. And when I watched that interview that Roland Martin did with Spike Lee. He ain't ask him none of that background stuff. He ain't ask him, hey, is it true what Boots Riley said about Ron Stallworth being an FBI informant? Because, you know, COINTELPRO was only successful because they was able to recruit black people to infiltrate these black organizations because obviously a white person couldn't do that like a black person could. So... I'm I'm down with Boots Riley on this, y'all. I'm down. I don't go to the movies, period. So I don't spend my money in Hollywood. I own Hollywood. I haven't done so in probably 25 to 30 years. Do I watch movies? Yes, I watch movies. So you had I leave it to your imagination how I'm watching these movies without giving my money to Hollywood. Okay. Uh, 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 so yeah, Black Klansman. I wouldn't waste a dime on it because it's fictional. Based on a true story doesn't mean the whole story. And mostly it's going to be fictionalized. The, the character is based on may be true, but may have been a real person, but they make up a whole lot of stuff. Okay. So I, I just think that's important. That's We need truth in our media, especially black people. We need more media that's going to inform us rather than entertain us. Now, you can entertain us while informing us at the same time, but a lot of this stuff is entertainment. It's entertainment-based. All right. So, again, if y'all have any questions or comments as we come up to the top of the hour, please get them in before I get to the main topic. You will also be able to chime in on these two main topics again, which are uh, Prison Strike Day 7, and John McCain's sanitized news coverage. Um, 
got a couple of things that I want to share with you. So if you would like to comment when we come back from the other side of our uh, top of the hour music break, you can give us a call at 704-802-5056, 704-802-5056. Hit the star key twice. Please watch your background noise. Uh, when I see see you on the board, I will get your comments or your questions. Uh, you, you can also uh, call in if you're somewhere in the world outside of the United States or you don't have long distance. You can use our web-based uh, voice over IP phone by going to uberconference.com slash Black Talk Radio Network. Again, this is Scotty Reed broadcasting from behind the enemy lines of USA Inc. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Listen up and believe me. 
Podcasts and live program scheduling, visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com. And welcome back to Black Talk Radio News. My name is Scotty Reed, broadcasting from behind the enemy lines of USA Inc. Look, I want y'all to do me a favor. Those that are listening right now, even those who will listen to the podcast later, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go to your favorite search engine. Most popular search engine is Google. You know, that's the one I use the most because it's the largest. But you can go to Yahoo search engine or Ask Jeeves. And Ask Jeeves, by putting in the search engine bar, prison strike. Just type down two words in there, prison strike. Not strikes. You can try that one, but put in prison strike. Then I want you, I don't want, you can either check, do it in Google News, but do it in the search engine. You can do it in both, but the search engine pulls everything up related to that keyword. All right. Put in prison strike. Now, I want you to look at a couple of those pages of results. And then I want you to tell me, what do you notice? is missing from those results, okay? So that's the the search term is prison strike and look at the results. You'll get a bunch of results and tell me what you think is missing or ask yourself what's missing because I'm going to tell you what's missing a little later on in the broadcast, all right? So I want you to do that while I'm going through some of these stories related to the national prison strike that kicked off August the 21st. It's not a strike against mass incarceration. It's not a strike against over-incarceration. It's not a 
strike against mass imprisonment. It's not a strike to abolish prisons. It's a, it's a strike to abolish slavery and improve conditions brought up to where a human is fit to be in those uh, conditions. And it's also the man, well, that falls under human rights, that their human rights be respected. And if they are U.S. citizens, that their constitutional right to vote be respected, okay? So the first story I want to get to you, uh, bring to you is we are starting to get reports out about repression against those who are participating in the strikes. The prisoners, of course, we're not talking about the people marching on the outside. We're not talking about people holding rallies on the outside of those prison walls. We're talking about the people inside the prison that are, are being tortured. And I'm not saying that to be exaggerating or to be using buzz words to get you in your emotion. I'm using it in the sense that international bodies, including the UN, United Nations, including international associations of psychiatrists and psychologists, have deemed solitary confinement as torture. Okay? As torture. Because that's what it is. It's scientifically proven that even as little as 24 hours in solitary confinement can have a lifelong uh, debilitating effect upon that person's mind. Okay? So, this is coming to you about this repression. Don't tell me that uh, MSNBC, excuse me, not MSNBC, but Microsoft News, even Microsoft News is covering it, y'all. Microsoft News, but I hope this article didn't disappear on me because it's saying, you know, prisons dash R dash already, you know, it's in the URL, but now the story's gone. Wow. Who did that? Who hacked that site? What clown on the inside is trying to keep us from this news? And I kid you not, it's, it's gone, people. The article is gone. I don't know. Let me close it up and open it up again. See if it comes up. Okay, it came up that time. I don't know. Funny things is happening. Well, let me go ahead and stop the browser so that it don't make it disappear again. They're disappearing prisoners and they're disappearing articles about prisoners. Come on, y'all. All right, so it says that prisons are already retaliating against inmates protesting modern slavery. This was published a day ago on by Tarpley Hit on MSN. That's Microsoft News. Yeah, MSN. Dot com. Inmates are already experiencing retaliation for alleged participation in the nationwide prison strike that launched August the 21st. Representatives from the Prison Labor Ag Advocacy Group Incarcerated Workers Organizing Committee told the Daily Beast. The strike, organized by a prisoner's rights group called Jailhouse Lawyers Speak, 
and backed by IWAC, and I would say backed by the New Abolitionist Movement as well, started Tuesday and will run until September the 9th. The strikers are calling for an immediate end to what they call modern slavery, a prison labor system that forces inmates to work for as little as four cents per hour, as well as nine other demands detailed in a statement from April. As part of the protest, participants are implementing a range of nonviolent tactics, including, let me say this right here, though. Yes, we keep hearing people, oh, you don't go out there and block traffic and we want to engage in peaceful protesting. Even John Lewis tried to lecture these young people on, on being peaceful and talking down to them and what have you, you know. Um, so anyway, look, they are peacefully protesting, right? So why why is the U.S. government and all these states pretty much ignoring them then, okay? Now, if they were setting the prison on fire and beating up guards and what have you. Oh yeah, then it might it might be we'll have hearings and and all kind of fact finding missions and and all that good stuff. But let me continue. As part of the protest, participants are implementing a range of nonviolent tactics, including boycotts on work, collect phone calls, commissary snacks. Pr- package purchases and electronic visitation, the major economic drivers of prison budgets. But only three days into the strike, inmates are already facing backlash from correction officers. We're in day seven, okay? And I don't know why it says this was published one day ago, because apparently it was published a couple of days ago. Two Florida incarcerated men have been sentenced this week. Listen to this, y'all. This is torture right here, okay? And and also, let me go ahead and mention John McCain was supposed to be this big advocate against torture. He never once advocated for the end of torture used against American prisoners in American prisons and jails. So, but we'll get to John McCain in just a bit. Um, so, two Florida incarcerated men have been sentenced this week to 18 months of quote-unquote, close management, a Florida legal term for a kind of solitary confinement, according to IWAT spokesperson and organizer Karen Smith. A third inmate was placed in disciplinary confinement, a slightly, slightly lighter sentence, Smith said. 18 months, man, 18 months. Y'all know how long that is, right? That's one year and a half. That's a year and a half. A year and a half. Julius Smith, a 30-year-old man serving 20 years at Santa Rosa Correctional Institution, was sentenced to close management on Wednesday for alleged participation in organizing the strike. Santa Rosa Correctional Institution did not respond immediately to requests for comment. The charges... The charge against Julius stems from a cell phone and homemade weapon that guards allegedly found in his bunk, which the inmate claims were planted. The cell phone was on the ground, just thrown near his bunk, Smith told the Daily News. Isaiah Williams, an inmate serving 10 years at Union Correctional Institution, was also placed in close management in the weeks before the strike began for quote-unquote inciting a riot related to the protest. Again, uh, from Jump Street, the plan was non-violent protest. 
work stoppages, sit-ins for those who don't have a prison job, prison slave job, or hunger strikes, okay? So they, they, they say, oh, he was trying to incite a riot. Close management is akin to solitary confinement. And Easy Al is held in a nine by seven cell for 23 hours a day. IROC wrote on their website, Ezel would greatly appreciate mail and could use stamps and writing supplies. For one hour per day, Williams is allowed to leave his cell to walk around in a caged outdoor area, Smith said. Union Correctional Institution did not respond immediately to requests for comments. Now, let me say this about sending him some mail and stamps and writing supplies. Don't do it during the strike. The strike isn't over until September the 9th. If he was a strike organizer and was here able to speak for himself, I feel pretty confident he would echo what I'm saying. Why would you Why would you uh, risk harm to yourself organizing a strike only to break the strike by you know making that request? It doesn't make sense to me. Anyway, a third inmate, Corey Sutton, a 21-year-old, housed at Franklin Correctional Institution, was sentenced to 58 years at the age of 14 for a sexual battery charge he says he didn't commit. Tuesday, Sutton was placed in confinement for charges of alleged gang activity and participation in the strike. As standard, Franklin Correctional Institution did not respond immediately to requests for comment. The allegations against Sutton were based on an email he sent to his mother, mother earlier this month, which made reference to Black August. A month-long celebration of black history started in the 1970s by black liberation activist Smith told the Daily Beast. There'll be George Jackson, imprisoned Black Panther. The group has so far only made the three individual names public on their website, but there are likely more out there, Smith said. Inmates face substantial risk for coming forward with their stories. It's dicey game to make pub people's names public, Smith said. Once their names are, are, are out, they can get more heat on them. And if they're in a position where they are fighting the allegation, it can be pretty difficult. More details on the strike will likely appear in the coming weeks, she said, and there can be substantial delays in getting information from prisoners, officials, and Freedom of Information Act requests. We're just starting to get some word. It can take weeks to get a clear idea of what's going on, Smith told the Daily Beast, especially since the prison administrator's first response is usually to deny any activity. All right, so in a press release Wednesday, representatives from jailhouse lawyers speak and IWAC confirmed additional strike activity in prisons ranging from North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, Washington, California, as well as solidarity actions in 21 American cities and several foreign nations, including Germany and Palestine. Now, I hadn't heard that the Germans um, had expressed solidarity. Again, this goes back to what I talk about, allies and warfare. There are some people who think that you can be an island out there by yourself, but uh, I have yet to read about a war where it was successful and the people didn't have, or the army didn't have allies. 
and what have you, you know. So we also know that it's more in more than just those states. It's in about 17 different states, all right. Um, Palestine, I knew about. Canada, I knew about. So again, this is international. This is pulling in not only international news coverage, but international support from foreign nations. Let me read a little bit from, now I'll say this one. This is for my next article that I want to focus on, the Palestinians. A lot of people don't know because they don't read. Uh, Reading is more important than watching movies and watching television. Um, But the Black Panther Party had a chapter called the Palestinian Panthers. All right. So again, just the international nature of the struggle. And when I hear people who uh, suggest to black people that we can go at this alone or should even attempt to go at this alone, then I know those individuals have not studied any kind of revolutionary um, organizations and the moves that they were making. All right. So they they perhaps speaking from ignorance. Okay. So I'm gonna leave that there. Um next article again, you can jump in at any time if you have a question or comment. Um my next article, the Palestinian prisoners declare solidarity with US national prison strike. This comes to you from liberationnews.org. The telephone number 704-802-5056 hit star star if you would like to make a comment or question, ask a question. All right, so let me close out that article from MSN, that's Microsoft News. Okay, uh, we got uh, abolitionist comrade Max Parthas. Max, we're getting a lot of feedback. I'm hearing myself talk back to me. If you can fix that. I'll work on it. Give me a second. Yeah, so um Okay, is that any better study? Yeah, just just go ahead. I'll mute myself while you're talking, but go welcome to BTR News Max. Thanks for calling in. Um I'm pretty sure you have a lot to say about this prison strike and the lack of coverage, but I'll I'll get to that lack of coverage in a bit after this Palestinian prisoner article. But go ahead with your question or comment, Max. Well, I'll save most of what I've got to say for next week, of course, during our uh, discussion with prison abolitionists. But what I did want to point out, when you asked us to do the Google search and check and see what was missing, one thing that I have noticed is missing is the same thing that was missing in the film 13th, and that's any kind of solution to the problem of the 13th Amendment allowing slavery. They don't really talk about that in any detail. I share your observation. And while in uh, other, well, communications I had with you and one of the prisoners today is that if anybody uh, goes on any interviews with the press in the future to please mention the need for congressional hearing on 13th Amendment, but you are correct, Max. That's not what I was alluding to, but that is a great observation and a point to make. Uh, while they may mention the 13th Amendment, um, I haven't seen any solutions offered other than from the prisoners themselves. Yeah, absolutely, Scotty. Um, 
there is no solutions being offered as far as the 13th Amendment is concerned. There are solutions to the uh, circumstances that the prisoners exist in that they're offering in their 10 points uh, that they have presented. But as far as ending slavery, that's not something that's being discussed in any detail. I agree. I agree. All right. Well, thanks for that observation, uh, Max. That's that's not what I was alluding to, um, but it's an observation nonetheless and one that I did not even think about. But you are absolutely correct. As you know, I have been monitoring everything that's coming out about the strikes, and I, I haven't seen, seen no solution other than from the prisoners themselves on the 10 points that they mentioned and you know in some constructive critique I think I mentioned this in that jailhouse lawyer speaks uh, press release that was put out they say into modern slavery but they don't even mention the 13th amendment so you know again that's constructive that is not to meant to be a slam against them but you know just moving forward we got to make sure we include the 13th Amendment and a call for constitutional amendment, um, congressional hearings towards a constitutional amendment to remove the exception clause that allows for slavery and involuntary servitude as punishment for crime. That, that has to go. It has to start there. Not saying that these other issues can't be implemented right away, but I'm saying we're talking about ending slavery. You have to start there. All right, so thank you, Max. Uh, Palestinian prisoners declare solidarity with U.S. national prison strike. Uh, this comes to you by way of liberationnews.org. Palestinian prisoners held in Israeli jails have issued a statement supporting the U.S. national prisoner strike, which began August the 21st and will run to September the 9th. The statement printed in full below was released by the Palestinian prisoners of the Popular Front for the Liberation of Palestine. According to uh, Samadun, the Palestinian Prisoners Solidarity Network, they are among nearly 6,000 Palestinians in prison by the Israeli occupation today. Message of solidarity to the U.S. national prison striker. This is from the Palestinians. To all the prisoners. So again, when you ask me, Scotty, why do you care about Israel using U.S. weapons and taxpayer money to commit genocide against the Palestinians? Uh, what, what do you care about them Arabs, even though Palestinians, a nationality is not a race, and there are Afro-Palestinians, but again, this is a human rights issue. This ain't no color-coded issue, but again, you say, they never care about us again, okay? You don't read, you ain't part of no international movement, and therefore, you won't know. So you just running off at the mouth saying something that don't exist, that does exist just because your favorite news channels or personalities don't tell you about it don't mean it ain't happening okay so it says this is from the Palestinian prisoners in support of the US national prisoner strikers prisoner to prison prisoner message international message 
We write today as imprisoned Palestinians of the popular front for the liberation of Palestine, held in Israeli jails for our participation and struggle for the liberation of our land and people from colonialism and occupation. Today, we extend our solidarity to the prisoners in the jails of the United States participating in the national prison strike beginning on August the 21st, fighting exploitation, racism, and capitalism from within the heart of the imperialist prisons. We begin by expressing our mourning for George Jackson, the imprisoned revolutionary and martyr of the black liberation struggle. The strike is beginning on the 47th anniversary of his martyrdom, an event that was recognized in Palestine and around the world at the time as an assassination of a true voice of struggle by the U.S. ruling class. As Palestinian prisoners, we also know that George Jackson was an internationalist and that the works of Palestinian poet Samil Al-Qasim addressing imprisonment and resistance were found in his cell after his assassination. Today, we write to you to once again forge that connection of struggle despite our different circumstances. The prison strike is a struggle of oppressed and exploited workers, first and foremost, confronting the unmasked brutality of capitalism behind bars around the world. Prisoners have only protected their human rights and won victories through struggle. We know that you are demanding improved conditions, the right to fight in court for your rights, and an end to excessive lifelong sentences. You are also demanding an end to the new form of slavery found in U.S. prisons, where prison workers are paid pennies to produce goods and perform services for some of the country's largest corporations. We also salute your struggle against racism, U.S. settler colonialism and imperialism practices. It's vicious racism both internally and externally, and the prison system reflects that reality. Black communities, Latino communities, Arab communities are under attack, facing mass incarceration in a system that seeks to imprison and exploit rather than support and nurture youth and elders. Today, prison workers are some of the most exploited workers in the United States, in the same ruling class that profits from the confiscation of Palestinian land and resources and from the bombing of our children in Yemen also profits from the forced labor of prisoners. Your struggle is a worker struggle that is part of our global conflict against the very vicious exploitation that our peoples face today. This struggle inside the prisons highlights the deep connections between racism and capitalism and how the struggle against them both can never be delinked. The boycott campaign that is part of your strike also emphasizes the critical role of boycott in confronting exploitation and oppression. While our circumstances and lives may vary greatly from one another in many ways, we too face economic exploitation through a canteen system that seeks to profit from our imprisonment as Palestinians. We know that prison profiteers in the United States also profit from prison canteens, phone calls, and other purchases, and we salute your campaign of boycott. This is the same reason why we call on people around the world to join the boycott. This divestment and sanction movements against Israel. We cannot and must not be the consumers of those who profit from our misery and oppression. As you enter your strike, 
We salute all of you and your struggle. And we urge all who are not already committed to join in the strike. We extend a special revolutionary salute to the imprisoned strugglers of the Black Liberation Movement and other liberation movements, including Mamiya Abu-Jamal, whose consistent internationalism and principled struggle is known and resonates around the world. We demand the freedom of these freedom fighters in U.S. jails from Leonard Peltier to Matulu Shakur. We know from our experience that it is through struggle and confrontation that true freedom can be realized. Your strike is being launched within the heart of U.S. imperialism, the greatest danger faced by our Palestinian people and the people of the world. We know that your victory will also be a victory for Palestine, just as our victories in Palestine will be a victory for all of the struggles against imperialism, racism, and oppression in the United States and globally. With revolutionary greetings, the Palestinian prisoners of the Popular Front for the Liberation of Palestine inside Israeli jails. So, that's the end of their letter. It was sent out August the 20th. 2018, the day before the strikes began. So, salute, salute to the Palestinian peoples over there facing the same thing that we have faced. And as the Black Panthers taught me, at reading about them, as Malcolm X taught me, human rights is an international struggle. All right, and that's why we have political people who did not become political prisoners because of the allies that they uh, um, uh, cultivated in other countries that gave them safe harbor when the United States tried to make slaves of them. We got a call from 646, I believe that's abolitionist tag on the line. I could be wrong, but I think that's tag. I'm beginning to learn this number by heart. Um, but welcome in to BTR News this evening. Um, if you will, give me just a second to take a quick station identification break, and then we'll come straight to your call. You're listening to BTR. You you're listening to BTR News with Scotty Reed from behind the enemy lines of USA Inc. We'll be right back after this station identification. No, I'm not a writer. Okay. Black Talk Radio since 2008, providing new black media for the masses. And welcome back to BTR News live on this Monday evening on August the 27th, 2018. We're going to go to the phone lines. Uh, we have a caller out of the NYC area. Uh, please give us your name and go ahead with your question or comment. Peace, brother Scotty. This is Ag, and and likewise, uh, starting to memorize the conference line. So that that's uh, proving useful to to call in quickly. Uh, so I, I hear you on that. But um, definitely appreciating the broadcast and you know what y'all have been discussing, and wanted to just try and quickly address uh, some of those points, uh, starting with the the Spike Lee uh, issue that you raised, which I was totally unaware of uh, his company's uh, consultant work with these uh, slave patrollers out in New York. That, that was very uh, 
discouraging news to hear, uh, to say the least. Especially, you know, since we're talking about someone who has brought, you know, so much positive attention to, you know, very important issues to our community. And, and I've even seen uh, him, you know, at actions around uh, the, the murder of individuals at the hands of slave patrollers, you know, um, at, at least once. So that, that was uh, a bit surprising and um, definitely very discouraging to hear. Yeah, Boots Riley, uh, the other filmmaker who was critiquing Black Klansmen, brought that brought that up, and that was the first I had heard of it as well. And you know, the NYPD, and you can speak to this more than I can, but they are some of the most belligerent slave catchers on the face of the planet. And 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 to have a can't to consult with them on how to propagandize their. Um, um, slave catchers like you know their friends of the community is pretty uh, troubling and you know got paid almost a quarter of a million dollars to do it well right and yeah no question your characterization is, is spot on and you know they're proud of their belligerence you, you hear it in their rhetoric all the time they displayed it recently uh, the other day at the start of the strike which ideally uh, there, you know, we'll be able to post on that further. You know, got some got some recordings behind that, and uh, you know, some heads who participated who would like to discuss. You know, what all went on there. You know, there were a few arrests. They they certainly were were going way overboard uh, with their with their uh, physicality, as as is the norm for the NYPD. You know, and uh, relatedly, I just wanted to uh, connect off of what you mentioned about. Uh, Dahomey uh, by citing again this uh, really brilliant and concise book by Walter Rodney, you know, um, the the just extremely important scholar Walter Rodney. He, he says, um, he, he speaks to uh, exactly what you were talking about um, with Dahomey and says that they, they uh, went so far, this is a quote, he said that Dahomey went so far as to set up a special battalion um you know uh, uh, uh they they essentially speaking to how they um devoted so many aspects of 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 their uh society um toward this this process of, of slave catching which is you know uh, it's just important to to recognize um you know the these these facts these parts of the history because you know we can't glamorize any of it you you often cite uh, Neely Fuller Jr.'s very uh, important statement about, you know, the, the function, the, the purpose of studying history and, you know, needing to catalog all of it, you know, negative, negative, uh, especially in a lot of instances, because we're still facing these, these same uh, problems. Uh, so, but again, that, that book is uh, West Africa and the Atlantic Slave Trade, and it's um, very brief, uh, but uh, extremely insightful. And, um, I was glad that you brought up the question of Corey Sutton, who uh, was railroaded as a minor for alleged uh, uh, sexual assault, because um, I actually had the privilege to hear, you know, in much greater detail about this brother's case um, by uh, his moms at an event uh, a while back. And it's just harrowing, you know, to hear uh, what this teenager, this young teenager, uh, went through 
and 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 we see it all the time you know uh, but i was just i was uh glad that you know despite microsoft's uh complicity in in prison slavery uh i was i was glad to see that at least this article that they published which it looks like came out of the daily beast initially but this article that they published you know um reported on uh this issue with with uh this brother Corey Sutton because that that case is just um you know, from from top to bottom, just just uh, horrible, and and smells of all manner of corruption and coercion, and uh, you know, his family says that that most likely, or to all appearances, he was drugged uh, in order for them to coerce a confession out of out of this this young individual, fourteen so, uh, years old at the time. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Fourteen years old. You know, and, and so it I mean, you know, it just took me back to hearing uh, this direct account of what happened, and uh, you know, that would be someone that uh, I would love to, you know, get back in touch with, and you know, be to be able to follow up on what's going on here with this strike-related repression. Uh, that's that's someone who's, you know, whose whose story uh, really needs to needs to be out here. Uh, yeah, it, it, if you can make it happen, man, try to get in touch with his mom's. Either, you know, invite her to New Abolitionist Radio as a guest or, you know, interview her, uh, interview her yourself for your podcast, Pre-Intercoms. Absolutely. That's exactly what I'm thinking. So uh, one or the other, I will be I will be uh, trying to reach out. And, and speaking of that, uh, this sister who I mentioned to you, uh, who also was wrongfully uh, incarcerated and and now and now her son is facing you know similar issues so uh, you know it, it's just it's very a lot of the same things going on as far as you know targeting uh, young people targeting targeting children and um, trying to coerce confessions out of them or or to put them into into these corners and again you know this is this is how slavers operate you know they they've always targeted children you know so. I also though on the because um, you were you were dis- discussing some of these um, corporations, and uh, I also was peeping the Tando discussion about the the wage gap, you know, and this important conversation around, you know, the 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 haves and the have-nots essentially. And uh, I posted it to the community page, but I was just so thoroughly reminded about this report that dropped a few months back called uh, Rewarding or Hoarding. I, I don't know if you um, had a chance to peep this report, but uh, uh, Keith, Ellison's, uh, Keith Ellison's office produced this report from out of uh, Dodd-Frank, if I'm not mistaken, where these corporations were required to report on their uh, CEO's earnings as well as the median salary of, of their workers. But you know, so you have a company like McDonald's, where according to this report, the CEO of McDonald's, their annual salary could go toward paying the yearly wages of over 3,000 workers who make a media, the median pay at McDonald's, 3,101 workers. And, you know, the question in my mind is, are, are they including the enslaved workers, you know, that right. that we know are are contributing to to McDonald's uh production and and keeping probably, their bottom line at, you know 
as low as possible. Probably not, Tag, since they don't directly work for McDonald's Corporation, but subcontractors. So I, exactly. I yeah, I, I would figure that's how they're hiding that, you know, um, um, but it's definitely, you know, producing profit for um, these executives and the stockholders, uh, by the way. But, you know, to your point, though, and this kind of speaks to my surprise that, you know, the strikes are getting this kind of coverage as where last year it was pretty much, you know, uh, very little coverage except for coming from the grassroots media. But for a company like Microsoft, um, which is, you know, profiting from prison slaver, slavery as well, um, you know, for them to put out that article, man, that just speaks to just the impact this year's strikes is having that they just can't ignore it anymore like they've done in the past. I, I don't know. Something's changed. What 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 is your assessment? I, I think that y'all are spot on. I heard y'all discussing it in terms of, you know, these middle stream outlets, you know, regardless of their complicity in evil, has to, I mean, it reaches a point where not covering it becomes that much more glaring, you know, speaking, connecting with some of the points that y'all were discussing even more recently. You know, the the fact that, okay, you have this strike that is getting coverage and, and certainly uh, a lot of, you know, important work has gone into spreading the word around the strike. Uh, I, I don't have to tell you that. Certainly Black Talk Radio Network has contributed to that. And so, so you know, Recon- I would I would say first of all recognition of some of the problems in the past where they've been trying to white out the coverage you know at all costs, uh, coupled with a kind of continuous flow of coverage around overall issues of prison slavery, whether it's discussed in those terms or in you know less accurate terms, there has been you know a steady swell of discussion around these issues, private prisons, you know, slayings at the hands of these slave patrollers, et cetera. So uh, it, it seems to me that the the correlation of forces, so to speak, you know, uh, are, are really in the favor this time of the abolitionists and of, of heads that are, are being enslaved under prison slavery, you know, and so, and so I, these corporations seem to me to be trying to get in front of it so that they can shift the narrative however they can. For example, as has been pointed out, the quotation marks, so-called modern slavery, et cetera, et cetera, trying to, you know, use uh, formerly enslaved individuals or so-called formerly enslaved individuals to change the narrative by claiming that, you know, enslaved labor is, is somehow liberating, you know, et cetera. So, um, that, that those are those are my thoughts and and a brother that was discussing this uh with at the recent uh mumia screening um you know had also was was noticing this somebody that's been working around these issues as well that that there's a real you know there there's a real shift right now in 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 the attention and that's really important and we just have to you know channel it as as accurately as possible as as y'all are are doing all right. Well, thanks, Ted. Was there anything else? I would just quickly point toward, and this just dropped today, uh, this evening, I would point toward, you know, there, y'all have been talking about and, and 
has uh, globally have been talking about Mumia's upcoming case on August 30th, uh, you know, upcoming hearing rather as part of the Williams versus Pennsylvania case to get his appeals back. And so a video just dropped uh, from out of the campaign to bring Mumia home that covers all of those issues. And, um, you know, so that, that could be found on YouTube if, if anyone just searches, you know, all out for Mumia or Mumia August 30th. And um, the, uh, the social media, you know, hashtags that heads are pointing toward are um, hashtag Mumia Freedom Bound and hashtag Mumia Black August. So anyone that just, you know, maybe wants to fill in some of the details or just want to know more about Mumia's case and who Mumia is and what he's about, as, as these uh, sisters and brothers in Palestine recognize, which, you know, when I read that solidarity statement and hearing it again on the air, it's just so emboldening to hear heads all the way out there under the kind of repression they are, you know, uh, recognizing uh, the, the struggles here. And, and, you know, that, that, that's what it's about. So just, again, that's uh, all out for Mumia on August 30th, uh, just, just dropped a video about uh, why we need millions um, as many as possible of us out there on August 30th to support Mumia's uh, freedom. All right. Well, thanks for reminding us about that. That's just um, um, less than 72 hours away will be his court date. So thank you. Um, also, if you want to check the BTR News Archives, uh, we did a interview on this subject, so y'all can check that out as well. Thanks again, Tag Man, for everything you do in this struggle. No, absolutely. Thank you. Thank all the abolitionists and and thank all the Black Talk Radio Network supporters and participants. Okay, now let's move to another story. Um, Again, uh, um, I asked people to Google, and John McCain, I'll save him for dead last. It's not really that important, except for in terms of propaganda and sanitizing a war criminal, a person who is directly and indirectly responsible for perhaps the deaths of hundreds of thousands, if not a million, okay, through the policies he supported as a first a congressman and then a U.S. senator, but not to mention that he was bombing the revolutionary people of Vietnam and more civilians were murdered in that war than it was like, you know, soldiers and what have you. But um, now, this is what I wanted. I'm going to focus on this. When I asked you to Google prison strike and look at what came up, and I actually link to that. And you'll notice, hopefully, what I notice. Black media is missing. Black media is missing in reporting this story. I did an interview, not an interview. I made a video where you could see my computer screen the other day where I was going through the Roots timeline on Twitter, uh, BET on Twitter, and Ebony on Twitter. Then, not part of the video, I looked at Essence Magazine. These are all publications, major publications that target black people and, and what have you. Um, some other people told me the Griot, who watched my video, left in the comments, said add the Griot to the list. These are 
all the publications, and we don't have that many, that target black people. So if you Google prison strike, you will notice a lot of the names of those publications are missing. I found one story, one story, well, two stories. We about to hear one of the stories. This wasn't in a publication, but this was on television, which is still a form of a publication. I'm hoping that's going to change. I'm hoping that's going to change. I even tweeted at Roland Martin over the past couple of days, several times over the past couple of days. Yo, dude, where's where where are all these black journalists at? Where where are these black publications? Where are you? You know, where are you? Why aren't you reporting on this? Again, I take the position that that slavery post-American Civil War slavery via the 13th Amendment impacts black people the most. Latinos or or, or uh, Hispanics second. If you want to go by per capita, Native Americans are number one if we're going by per capita. Okay? But if we're going just by the sheer numbers, blacks, Latinos, then you got... Um, your Native Americans and whatnot, who are the primary victims. And then you have, to a lesser extent, poor white people. So I don't I don't seek to color code this movement because it's a human rights issue. It's not a color issue. It's not a nationality issue. It's an international human rights issue as expressed by the international coverage of it and the international messages of solidarity with these prisons in America. But you would think, since it affects black Americans more than anybody else, that black media will be at the forefront of the reporting, just like they were at the forefront of the reporting during the 1950s and 60s and 70s, and maybe even the 80s until we get up to the 90s and they start killing off black radio. And they and then these black people who own these publications start selling them to these white dominated dominated um corporations. Even going back to pre-American Civil War slavery, black people in media played a prominent role in raising the issue of, of slavery, of presenting the option of abolition. That's not happening today. I'm not talking about the underground. I'm not talking about the grassroots media like New Abolitionist Radio, like some of the other programs that, that cover it. Okay? I'm talking about these major publications that millions of black people follow online, may even subscribe to them, Watch them on TV. It's a shame, y'all. It's a shame. And I, again, this is part of the reason why I founded the Black Talk Media Project. Maybe it's my fault. I'll take the blame if it's my fault. Because I have, as a matter of personal, a personal point of view, as a matter of principle, I don't seek the grants. These big, you know, 
$100,000 grants, $10,000 grants, million dollar grants. I don't know how much Black Lives Matter got. Not that they're mainstream, but they're accepted as mainstream and they haven't published anything on their home website. That's not to say their individual chapters haven't been involved in promoting it, but I'm talking about those women who founded it. Nothing about it. Nothing. Nothing. But we're going to stick on the mainstream media and these black uh, journalists that we mostly know by name. I started Black Talk Media Project. Again, maybe it's my fault because I don't seek these grants, but I don't seek them because I don't want strings attached. I don't want to get addicted to getting, let's say, 100000 a year from the Ford Foundation, but then all of a sudden, I'm getting messages that, you know, I think you're going a little too hard on prison slavery or slavery through the prisons. I think you're going a little hard on 13th Amendment. I think you're being divisive. You need to tone it down. Call it mass incarceration or or something non-existent like that, you know. So maybe it's my fault that in the 10 years that we've been in existence that we haven't been able to obtain the funds to create these independent localized outlets, not national outlets, not international outlets, but serving communities with outlets where people can come in and tell their stories, where people can can go to a website that's all about their city, all about their town, where these issues are, are being brought to the forefront. Maybe, maybe it's my fault. But I'm telling you, this demonstrates the need for Black Talk Media's project's vision because we are not getting this news. And I have to say, with the few resources that we have, I think that we have done a tremendous job, more than I expected, in spreading the news about abolition or the message of abolitionists. Okay, so I'm hoping that in terms of coverage, I mean, if you can get Microsoft to put out something about it, if you can get USA Today to put out something about it, if you can get Vox.com to put something out about the strikes, if you can get The Guardian to put something out about the strikes, if you can get the BBC, British Broadcasting Company, to put something out about it, if you can get Palestinian prisoners to put something out about it. What's going on with these black people in black media? I don't care if they don't own it or do own it or they just employees or whatnot. Now, it has been suggested that they're being prevented from doing so. Well, guess what? Jamil Hill said, hey, I'm leaving ESPN because they want to tell me I can't talk about politics and they want me to just stick to sports. So you know what? I had a conversation with them and they're buying out my contract and I'm going to leave ESPN because I don't like nobody being in control of my life. If I ain't in your studios, if I ain't on your plantation and I'm at my house and I'm using my personal Twitter account, I should be able to talk about whatever I want to talk about. So I'm not accepting any excuses from these other people. Okay? not accepting any other excuses. But I'm hoping with Al Sharpton 
I think the name of the show might be Politics Nation. I'm not sure what the name of the show is. Politics with Al Sharpton, something like it. Come on too early in the morning and on Sundays. Um, he's down to once a week, early in the Sunday morning when most people still in bed or getting ready to go to church or the mosque or wherever, you know. But he did cover it this Sunday, yesterday. And not only did he cover it, I thought he did a good job. I mean, we can critique it down and and we can get picky and what have you. And I understand the need to analyze this and get the language right. But I thought for him to never have ever done a segment like this, even though I faxed the National Action Network three, four, five years ago, I, I faxed them about this very matter about slavery never being abolished, even include, included the text of the 13th Amendment and asked them to please, please become part of this abolitionist movement. Never heard back from them. I didn't hear back from Dick Gregory either. I faxed him too. And I didn't hear back from Jesse Jackson's Rainbow Coalition in Chicago. Didn't hear back from them either. Those three people I faxed. Never heard from them. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping that this year is different, that there's a change coming. And that with him covering it this Sunday, that that'll lead to these other outlets and 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 celebrity figureheads, as they would call them, in media. I hope they'll cover it too. All right? Because, again, if you Google prison strike or Yahoo prison strike or ask Jeeves about prison strike, you're going to see that they are missing. Black media is missing. Black media is missing. Media that targets black people is missing from this telling this story. And that's shameful. And we ought not accept that. That's unacceptable. But let's listen to Al Sharpton. I posted this video. I found it on the YouTube and I posted the video to btrcommunity.com, our social media platform set up for this network. And we're going to listen to the segment. It's a short segment, okay, but very important information shared. So let's give it a listen. Waiting on it to load up. Uh, thank you, Colonel Jake, Jack Jacobs and Congressman Costello. Uh, up next, there's a massive strike going on right now across that country, across this country, that affects all of us. I'll tell you why in just a moment. We're on the fifth day of a nationwide 19-day prisoner strike with reports that inmates in several states are refusing to work, eat, and comply with orders from officials until multiple concerns are addressed. Chiefest among them, prisoner safety amid a rash of recent inmate deaths and the meager wages inmates receive to work as farmers, manufacturers of major retailers, and even firefighters, all for pennies on the hour, compulsory yet legal under the 13th Amendment. Joining me now is Darren Mack, a former inmate who is now a prison reform activist, and Douglas Blockman, 
professor at Georgia State University and author of Slavery by Another Name, The Re-Enslavement of Black Americans from the Civil War to World War II. Uh, let me start with you first, Douglas. The strike, among other uh, things they're saying, is the meager wages, pennies per hour, that they are forced to do that is reaping major profits for private businesses. Most Americans, or at least many, don't even know that's happening. Explain. You're right, most Americans don't really understand just how much commercial activity goes on inside prisons all across the country. Uh, now, it's also, it, it may not be as much activity as we imagine sometimes, too. It's not all that essential to the economy, but it's an incredibly important dimension of the lives of thousands and thousands of prisoners. And what I think the strike really is about is that on all kinds of levels, uh, the conditions inside America's prison systems and the whole system itself uh, have really been corrupted by the indifference of American citizens for the most part and also simply our refusal to actually bear the costs uh, of, a, of, a, of a society which has decided to incarcerate as many people as this one has. And so prisons have become unsafe places for many people uh, and places where uh, prisoners are humiliated and degraded in many ways. Uh, all of those, I think, have added up to the conditions that have led to the attempt to have this, this big national strike. Darren, in your work as, as, as trying to raise these issues, uh, one of the things that, that strikes me is when I was growing up, they used to call it correction facilities. Now it's mostly detention facilities. There is not even the attempt to correct or to redeem people. It's use them, work them, treat them in subhuman ways. And I think that uh, one can make a mistake or even uh, do things that we deem justifiably criminal but they should not use their, lose their humanity. Yeah, I think that um, people need to understand that hurt people hurt people. And, and for all too long, the criminal justice system has basically been driven by vengeance and punishment. And we need to understand that this doesn't really heal the situation of the person who was harmed and the person who has caused the, caused the harm. So that's why incarcerated people throughout the country in, a, in about a confirmed 17 states are coming together to, to demand policy changes around reinstating Pell Grants to incarcerated students, which was very transformative and so effective that a RAM report showed that spending one dollar on higher education to incarcerate a student saves people four to five dollars on reincarceration. So if programs like this and ending death by sentence because people are being sentenced to life. We had juveniles in this country who were sentenced to life and that actually means a death sentence that you will not leave prison until you die. So I think these the, the policy demands elected officials and people need to pay attention to this because it's important. Criminal justice is a bipartisan issue and elected officials definitely yeah. need to respond to this to the situation here. You know, uh, Douglas, I, I'm a voracious reader, and one of the books that most impacted me in my life, uh, maybe in the top 
seven to ten books is your book because well, you, you really broke down uh, in slavery by another name that after we got through slavery with the Emancipation Proclamation how the criminal justice system and using vagrancy laws and all really set up a new form of slavery and servitude uh, with black Americans that leads into what uh, is the strike is all about and what, what Darren is talking about. And I think a lot of people, well, most people have no idea this was systematic and we are still really in the middle of it being used. I think you're absolutely right, and you mentioned it in the setup, that the 13th Amendment includes an exception. Uh, and the 13th Amendment is what uh, was supposed to end slavery in America forever, but it includes uh, a phrase that says slavery is still legal uh, in the case of when it's punishment for a crime, for someone duly convicted of a crime. And a lot of what I wrote about in my book was that there were thousands and thousands and thousands of people who were arrested for crimes they hadn't committed uh, or for things that were just completely invented specifically for the purpose of then making it possible to re-enslave them. But, the, but all of that is also a, a part of a fundamental problem we have in our country, and that is that until very recently, we had two systems of justice, and really two systems of incarceration, one for white people and one for black people. And in the system for white people, there was at least some attempt to have actual justice. But the system of, of incarceration, imprisonment, and the justice system itself for African Americans was completely the opposite of that. And now today, well, we have a system that tries to pull those things together and have one system for all people, but the end result is one that is simply draconian uh, and, uh, and brutal for everyone. I'm going to have to leave it there. This is a very important issue, and we certainly will stay on top of it. Thank you uh, to Darren Mack for being with us this morning. Thank you, uh, Douglas Blackman. Up next, Nation mourns the loss. Okay, I'm going to leave it there. Um, I am about 10 minutes over the two hours. There's no other program scheduled to come in. So I'm going to keep rolling. Um, I, thought he, I thought the segment was very informative. I thought it brought truth to the masses who watch Al Sharpton that they never heard before. And maybe, just maybe, because there was a white man telling you the 13th Amendment really did not abolish slavery, but just put it under new management under the federal government and the respective states. Maybe y'all will believe it. You know, maybe y'all didn't believe me and Max for the past six years that we've been doing new abolitionist radio, um, you know, maybe y'all didn't believe it because we're not white. Okay. So maybe y'all will believe it now for those that, that still don't believe, you know, just, uh, I'm being a little bit facetious here. I'm, I admit it because, you know, the old saying goes, people don't want to believe something unless a white person tell them, you know, so, but anyway, he's a professor. He wrote a book documenting, the period of slavery post-American Civil War up to World War II uh, that was brought up today, but it, it continues, you know, when he said invented reasons to put people in prison, again, we must go back to President Nixon, who started the drug war, which is ongoing, 40 plus years ongoing, as a way to target black people and anti-Vietnam War protesters. Slavery 
was never abolished. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping that this will lead to black media, even though MSNBC isn't black media, but Al Sharpton's a well-known black figure who has a television show on, on a major broadcast network. I'm hoping now that that will signal to the other black journalists out there that, hey, it's okay, y'all can talk about it now. Master, let me talk about it. Let me stop. Let me stop. Okay? Because there's no excuse for them not to be devoting any coverage. How many stories about Nicki Minaj do we need to hear? How many stories about Cardi B do we need to hear? How many stories about Beyonce and Jay-Z getting chased off the stage do we need to hear? How many stories about sports do we need to hear? Okay? This is the most important issue facing our generation, Generation X, the millennials, and whatever other labels they give for the different age groups. I don't want this system of slavery to still be in place when my grandsons hit puberty and become targets for enslavement. So, I'm happy, I'm very happy with all the coverage, the international coverage. I'm happy with Al Sharpton covering it and saying he was going to stay on top of it. So let's make sure we hold him to that, okay? Let's make sure he should be doing a segment next week as well because the he'll be on air again before the strike is up. Let's hope that it becomes part of the mission. Abolition becomes part of the mission. Wait a minute. Let me say this right. Slavery abolition becomes part of the mission of the National Action Network, which he leads. Now, one thing before I jump on the sanitized coverage of John McCain is we need to introduce into the narrative, and I touched on it previously, any of you abolitionists to get an opportunity to speak to the media, please raise the specter of congressional hearings and the need to remove this exception clause from the 13th Amendment. That's the root. That's the root. And we need to press these politicians like, the young man on the broadcast, the former victim of slavery, on the, on Al Sharpton's broadcast said, this is something these politicians need to pay attention to. Let's not be satisfied with quote-unquote criminal justice reform. We must push for the abolition of slavery because it's in the U.S. Constitution and 99% of the state constitutions mirror what that 13th Amendment says. It's time it's been time, it's past time that we end slavery once and for all. Now, let and here's something else I would like to be introduced into the narrative for any of those that get an opportunity to speak to the mainstream press. Again, as Malcolm X told us, human rights, human rights, human rights, the black man's issue is a human rights issue. Okay? Dr. King, prior to his death, said we need to move from 
civil rights as U.S. citizens to human rights as human beings. The Universal Declaration of Human Rights, which is a UN document, you can find it on their website just like I did. The Universal Declaration of Human Rights, UDHR, is a milestone document in the history of human rights, drafted by representatives with different legal and cultural backgrounds from all regions of the world. The declaration was proclaimed by the United Nations General Assembly in Paris on December 10th, 1948. General Assembly Resolution 217A as a common standard of achievements for all peoples and all nations. It sets out for the first time fundamental human rights to be universally protected and it has been translated in over 500 languages. What I want us to interject into the narrative is Article 4 of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. And and by the way, the United States was one of the original signatories to this document. This is a document of principles of human rights saying that we all agree that these are human rights that should be universally respected all over the planet. The United States, this was during FDR's administration after World War II, after the terrible reign of the Nazis. It it just so happens that it's so sad that it took the Nazis doing what they did before this Declaration of Universal Human Rights was issued when Americans have been the daddies of all repression. Nazis came to America to study and they based their model of racial purity and racial cleansing on the American model. There's been books written about it. So this is not me exaggerating or using buzzwords of the Nazis to to convince you of my arguments. This is documented history. But this is Article 4, and it applies to the prison strike. Article 4, no one shall be held in slavery or in, or servitude, slavery and the slave trade shall be prohibited in all their forms. Let me read Article 4 again. Again, the United States signed this document acknowledging in agreement with these principles. Article 4, no one shall be held in slavery or servitude Slavery and the slave trade trade shall be prohibited in all their forms. What does the 13th Amendment say? And is it not codifying a form of slavery through the prison? So let's pull up the 13th Amendment. I should have it memorized by heart, but sometimes I forget. But for the sake of accuracy, I'm going to pull it up. I have it right in front of me. Section 1. Neither slavery nor involuntary servitude except 
as a punishment for crime whereof the party should have been duly convicted shall exist within the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction. So I'm saying to you that the exception clause of the 13th Amendment should have been removed by Congress during FDR's term when they signed on as a signatory of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. But they did not. And we're still dealing with slavery today. So please, please, if you have the opportunity to get a microphone put in, in front of your face, if you get invited on to speak on the prisoner strikes, please, please interject into the narrative the need to have congressional hearings on the 13th Amendment because it is in contradiction with the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, Article 4, which the United States signed. Please do that. Do that for not me, but do it for all the victims of slavery, present, and any victims that may come up in the future, which includes me. All right, let me move on. We don't have any other uh, callers that want to chime in on this. I want to close it out by talking about John McCain. Now, sometimes it's not what you say, it's how you say it. And I understand this person died and for some reason, perhaps because they're just as crooked or corrupt or or anti-humanistic as John McCain was. John, let me say this before I forget, because I thought about this before the program. I said the difference, if you want to look at racist, quote unquote, so-called white supremacists, the difference between Donald Trump and John McCain, and why I think John McCain took such an issue with Donald Trump is John McCain practiced codified racism. Donald Trump is an uncodified racist, an unapologetic uncodified racist. I think that's the issue, the primary issue that John McCain had with Donald Trump. Codification versus non-codification. You're just being too blatant with your racism, Donald. You don't know how to control your mouth. You don't have command of the English language to where you can say what you want to say and send these racist dog whistles, but not in a way that somebody can blatantly uh, point it out as racism. That's the main rub, I believe, is between Donald Trump and John McCain, who passed away over the weekend. So I'm not saying that we should use vulgar language or anything like that in the media or in our conversations about his quote-unquote legacy, but I'm most definitely saying we shouldn't be lying about it because what? Because why? Why you want to lie to our children? Are you liars? Is that what it is? I expect politicians to lie, so it's no surprise that many of the codified politicians is praising John McCain, but it's a lie. It's still a lie. 
We can talk about his legacy in a codified manner, but it, 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 we have to tell the truth. We have to tell the truth and not allow this moment in history to be whitewashed and let words like hero and unfortunately, man, John Lewis, John Lewis, John Lewis, John Lewis, I know you're a victim of racism, but damn, calling that man a warrior for peace. You just sold out, Dr. King, all the way, dude. You know, you just really, to even mention a warrior for peace and John McCain in the same sentence makes me think you've lost your mind. Jesus, he said that on Twitter, in public, a warrior for peace. So what was Dr. King then? That's like nominating Hitler for the Nobel Peace Prize or something. Let me read to y'all about why John McCain was no hero and he definitely was no warrior for peace that comes to you from the Free Thought Project. This is what other white people had to say about John McCain. I was going to share an article from News One which I thought was balanced. I will cover it from the black perspective, but this is from white people's perspective. Earlier this week, notorious war hawk, U.S. Senator John McCain died from brain cancer. While the liberal and conservative establishments are sending their regards, geopolitics alert instead compiled a list of reasons of why we don't care about McCain. The list is, of course, a history of all the instances McCain has called for U.S.-led intervention around the world. There's clearly a long history here. So Geopolitics Alert has compiled the most blatant examples from Europe to Asia. We'll start with the obvious wars first. Afghanistan and Iraq. Obviously, every U.S. senator besides California's Barbara Lee voted to give President George Bush, the power, W. Bush, to, the power to invade Afghanistan following the events of September the 11th. However, McCain wasn't happy with just moving to invade Afghanistan. No, he had other targets on his mind as early as the day after the towers fell. Despite McCain's claim in 2014 that the Iraq war probably wouldn't have happened if he had won the 2000 Republican primary in the general election, this assertion seems ridiculous. On September the 12th, 2001, McCain appeared on MSNBC presenting an extensive list of countries he felt were providing a safe harbor to groups like Al-Qaeda. This list, of course, included Iraq and several other nations that appear later on this list. Syria, another country on, on the 2001 list, of course, was Syria. Now, the Bush regime may have never gotten a chance to continue toppling Middle East countries thanks to the failure in Iraq and the exposure of that war being sold on lies, but McCain seemingly never lost sight of his hatred for Bashir, Bashir al-Assad. Shortly after the Arab Spring broke out in Syria, McCain and his constant war partner, in crime or partner in war crime, Senator Lindsey Graham quickly found communication channels with the Syrian opposition, quote unquote. Just a few short months after the U.S. endorsed protests in Syria, 
even having their ambassador attend, McCain and Graham began calling for arms to start flowing to the Free Syrian Army and other rebel groups. Libya. McCain's plan for Syria never quite worked the way he wanted, but he probably shouldn't should have known they would never yield a positive result. If McCain didn't want to look at Iraq to prove that point, he had another more recent example he could have used, the NATO intervention in Libya. It was less than a year before McCain wanted to arm Syrian uh, tech for that he had supported with the bombing and no-fly zones in Libya. McCain even wanted tougher sanctions against the country, which has now become an anarchic Wild West that's home to all sorts of horrors from the Islamic State to a new slave trade. All right, West and Central Africa. McCain is also a champion of the war on terror in other parts of Africa. While McCain hasn't directly supported terrorists, in some countries in Africa, he still has called for more U.S. intervention across the continent. This list includes dealing with uh, Islamic insurgencies such as Mali. McCain has also called for plans like deploying special forces to rescue girls kidnapped by Boko Haram in Nigeria and intervention in Sudan, where McCain and his wife have invested money for some time. Iran. Bomb, 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 Iran. Y'all remember him? He was joking about that. Another country on the list of hated nations initially put forth by Bush Undersecretary of Defense Paul Wolfowitz, who was also a signatory to the um, white paper that was put out by the Project for a New American Century, which called for um, um, ethnic cleansing bioweapons. Yes, they did in that paper. Wolfowitz signed it. Although McCain has always said he prays there will never be a war with Iran, the man incessantly calls for it and even jokes about bombing the country when he feels the mood is right. The truth of the matter is McCain's position towards Iran are so hostile they even flagship neoconservative institutions like the Cato Institute think he is too hawkish. Bosnia and Kosovo. I'm not going to read them all, but he he supported um, Clinton in Bosnia and Kosovo, the Ukraine. I will read this one. Don't be fooled into thinking that McCain only supports jihadists in Eastern Europe. He also backs the overt Nazis acting as death squads for Kiev in the ongoing Ukrainian conflict. This, of course, started in 2014, but McCain has continued to pledge support for Kiev's crimes in the Donbass region to this day. This is all par for course in McCain's larger theme of challenging Russia, the country he believes controls the separatists in eastern Ukraine. Of course, Russia, North Korea, and China. How in the hell does John Lewis even fix his mouth to utter the words warrior for peace in regards to John McCain? He's he's then lost his ever-loving mind. I tell you, man. I tell you. Some people, they outlive, they live too long, and they destroy their own legacies. Okay? They live too long, and they become that which they were fighting against in their youth. That's that's John Lewis giving praise to this man, John McCain, as a warrior for peace. Man, 
the military industrial complex never found a better advocate than John McCain, except for, of course, as was mentioned, his buddy, Lindsey Graham out of South Carolina. The last article I'll share with you, I thought was a pretty balanced article. Pretty balanced article. They didn't go all in on John McCain, but they didn't try to whitewash him either. And this came from News One. If I can find it, I know I posted it. I may have lost it. Oh, man, I may have posted it. Okay, here it is, right there in front of my freaking face. I did not check News One, so let me check News One. Let me type in their search bar, Prison Strike 2017. I mean, no, just Prison Strike. Let me type that in there. Their website stay busy, so hope it don't lock me up. Prison Strike, this is one of those outlets targeting black people. Let's see. Everything we know about the national prison strike, they want better condition behind bars. Dr. Boyce, rappers should be repping the Georgia prison strike. That's a very old article. That That's back in the day. But they did publish one, so I got to give them credit for that. Everything we know about the national prison strike, they want better condition behind bars. No, that's not the main thing. That is a primary goal. They want to end slavery. That's what the byline should have read. I'm not going to read that article. I'm going to uh, stick with what I said about John McCain. Um, They did do a balanced article on John McCain, not that I feel like there's any balance to be had. Hell, I hope people don't look at me as a hero just because I was in the U.S. military helping white supremacists destroy Iraq. I was a very naive young man who had not yet come into political awakening fully. All right, so, but anyway, this is the article from News One. Black leaders pay tribute to Senator John McCain, who leads a mixed legacy with African Americans. From the Martin Luther King Jr. holiday to facing off against Obama, the lawmaker had a complicated relationship with black folks. I don't know what was so complicated about it. African-American leaders sent condolences to the family of Senator John McCain, also who leads a mixed legacy with the black community. McCain succumbed on Saturday to his battle against brain cancer. The lawmaker and quote-unquote Vietnam War hero who ran twice for U.S. president died at his home in Arizona at age 81. Today, we not only lost a war hero and savvy politician, but a man that always put true American values, and of course, those values continue. Uh, uh, Those values include practicing slavery, practicing racism. Again, man, they use these terms and these words, and we just... We just use them, and what does American values mean? I guess it depends on who you asking, but if you're telling the truth about it, it ain't nothing good. He was often open to dialogue and conversation about some of this country's most controversial issues, and he will forever be remembered for his fighting spirit, NAACP president and CEO Derek Johnson said. We send our condolences to the McCain family and the constituents he proudly served in Arizona for 33 years. See, this is the politics of politeness. 
I understand if you don't got nothing good to say about the man, then don't say nothing at all. I understand that. Okay, I understand that. But to lie, but to lie and whitewash some stuff, and then it's coming out, rolling, you know, those lies coming be from the lips of a black person. <sighs> Let me jump down. The Congressional Black Caucus had this to say. In Congress, where there is more pressure now than ever before to stand on the left or right, he often stood in the center, putting patriotism before the party. The health care vote he cast last year and his criticism of Trump are just a few examples. Rest in peace, John McCain. That's from the official CBC, which is, I'm not sure if that's the uh, super PAC, that John Lewis got up there and lied about Bernie Sanders. I never saw him out there in the civil rights movement. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. So that that's from the C CBC. You know what? The Bible said, and even Dr. King said, that he'd rather you be cold or on the right than be in the middle, on the fence, on the fence, being lukewarm. Either be hot or cold, because if you lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out my mouth. That's what the middle is, y'all. That's what the middle is. Dr. King talked about our greatest stumbling blocks being not the Ku Klux Klan, but the moderate who wants a peace without justice. Dr. King. Okay. Many recall, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm tired of it, y'all. Y'all can look up the article yourself. Now, let me get to the balance part. Um, unless they didn't clean it up. Let's see. Um, cause the, the, uh, NAACP Arizona. Oh man. Don't tell me they didn't remove it. The NAACP Arizona. Here it is. Okay. No, that's not it. Let me see. Barack Obama put out a little nice statement. Okay. Uh, there was another side of McCain that brings balance to his legacy. McCain was indifferent to his black constituents in Arizona. In other words, he had like they didn't even exist. The senator, let me see, McCain has pretty well zero relationship with the African community, African American community that I know of. Oscar Tillman, the former Arizona NAACP head, told Politico in 2008. I don't recall him ever attending any function with the NAACP. Each year we send them an invitation to an annual banquet, and each year they say no. So meaning that they sent out an invitation to all the politicians so that y'all can come and hear what your black constituents have to say. They turn them down every time. The senator was also a staunch opponent of the national Martin Luther King Jr. holiday. Even after President Ronald Reagan finally decided to approve the bill for MLK Day, McCain voted against it. He later regretted, regretted his opposition to celebrating the civil rights leader and he apologized for his support in 2000 for keeping the confederate flag atop the South Carolina State House see that's the real McCain y'all that's the real McCain All right, and he did he really regret it or did he regret needing black votes 
and then with this history. Because that's when, remember, he went to Memphis, Tennessee. It was raining. I remember that clearly. Went to Memphis, Tennessee. It was like a, a, a anniversary of Dr. King's assassination. I think they were standing outside the hotel, Lorraine Hotel, where he was assassinated by a gunman's bullet. And he was out there saying, I'm sorry. I was wrong. I was wrong. Please vote for me. Please support me. And I hadn't even known that he supported the Confederacy. That shows how much of a patriot he is. Oh, yeah, he's patriotic to white supremacy. How are you going to be, how would you, basing your career and your status as a quote-unquote American hero, serving in the U.S. military, he was in the Navy, Navy pilot, Talk about the red, white, and blue and all this and that, but then support some freaking uh, symbol that that um, represents traitors and slavers. That, that should tell you something. And last but not least, and this isn't in the article, and I will go to Jenna and get his comment, but let me say this first. John McCain is being held as a hero because he got shot down over Vietnam while bombing the revolutionary people of Vietnam, resisting American imperialism and racism, and possibly enslavement. He got shot down. He was held as a POW for five years. Some of that time he spent in solitary confinement, was tortured, and what have you. And even when the issue came up with Guantanamo Bay and the waterboarding the people. He tried to come out and say, oh, I'm against torture and all that. But, you know, he, he, he never called anybody truly to the carpet. But let me say this, though. Do y'all recall John McCain ever standing up for American prisoners of war in U.S. prisons and jails? Certainly not our political prisoners. Did he ever stand up for the victims of slavery, regardless of skin color? Because we're in a period where it's slavery for all and we can convict, duly convict you. But when did he ever speak out against solitary confinement of prisoners as a form of torture? When did he ever speak out about the inhumane treatment and conditions these prisoners are highlighting right now in their national prison strike? I can tell you when, never. The last word on the program before I close it out is Jenna joining us from the state, the slave state of Tennessee. Jenna, what's on your mind? Greetings, Scott. How are you tonight? I'm doing the best I can behind these enemy lines. How about yourself? I'm doing quite the same and still learning. What's on your mind, Man, Jenna? I, I, I missed a large part of the program, uh, talking to this uh this outreach program manager uh coincidentally i was telling them about the network and uh i, I think you need to talk to him I, I i sent them your information but i am so glad that you brought this up about john mccain because it, my timeline has been flooded with with black people talking about john mccain in this uh very unassuming light that I do nothing about. Like you stated, I was going to bring up that, that very article that you read from uh, 2008 when he was running for president 
about Oscar Tillman and some of the other uh, NAACP uh, representatives because this man has been uh, he has been an advocate for putting us down for as long as I can remember and, and even further back and I don't I wanted to ask you what is the fascination when somebody dies that they're being hailed as a hero now to the suspected racists out there that that are uh, giving him this this green light for all of this uh, fondness, I could understand them. But for the people who had to uh, suffer from the decisions that he made, and like you said, he apologized, but I, I felt that all of those were very empty. And even with Trump, you know, he didn't start coming out personally against him until he was hit on personally. And like one of the uh, one of the commentators on CNN stated today that he agreed with eighty five percent of his policy. You know, it, right. this guy was no different than anybody. Right. He just didn't like hit the light being shined on him, so he felt he needed to say something. Is so I'm I am very grateful for you for uh, for pointing these things out because we we kind of get him get low to sleep. And like you stated, if you don't have nothing to say, don't say nothing good. I mean, if you don't have nothing good to say, don't say it at all. But, I mean, we just talking facts, and this man has constantly, constantly uh, made judgments against us. And then for for not only senators, but just ordinary black people who have nothing to gain to sit up and tell these lies about what this man has done makes no sense to me. Chalk it up so, to confusion. That, say again, Scotty? Chalk it up to confusion. I guess that's the only thing we can do. Thank you for allowing me to speak, man. Great show, and I'll, uh, I'll be giving with you soon. All Please. right. Thanks, Jenna. Um, Otis wanted to uh, chime in uh, before we close out. Uh, Otis, go ahead, man, uh, with your thoughts. Go ahead, man. We got time. Go ahead. Otis? Okay, I, I, I guess he changed his mind. All right, um, so that's my program for today. First and foremost, we want to highlight the prison strike against slavery as authorized by the 13th Amendment. Otis, you want to chime in now? Go ahead. Uh, I'm not sure. I can't get it to unmute. Can you hear me? Yes, we hear you. Okay, I'm sorry. I just wanted to buttress what you were saying about John McCain because I've seen it uh, over and over and I had my battles with it too. I'll try to keep it quickly. I hear you talk about your military service and, and you, you worked in an advisory role and stuff, you're a super, kind of a uh, supervisory role. So you kind of sound like you did what I did. I went into the military trying to be my best at whatever I was assigned to do. And I've said it on several programs and I'll say it here on this one to, to buttress you. I actually sit underground with a nuclear weapon. Most of my commanders, the majority of them, were the top what top percentage of the U.S. Air Force Academy. That's the only way they could get in. And they were just like John McCain. They were well-educated on the history of war, the ecology of war, not just on the battles, but on the theory of war. John McCain used that very same attitude against Martin Luther King's date 
uh, birthday becoming a national holiday. And the bottom line is he used what most GOP candidates use throughout our life. We can't afford it. It costs too much. That was what he said publicly. But I, I put that last article in the chat room for you to read over so that if you put out any more information on him, you will see just how far he went, not only to resist it, but he also, because I was going back and forth from Arizona to Dallas at the time, he also supported uh, operations trying to rescind it even when it became a state holiday in Arizona. That man is wow. no different than Trump, just like you said earlier. He is a racist. He was a racist. And not only did he not like black people, one of his most famous quotes were after these people saved him when his plane crashed and he got all busted up and was literally unconscious in a pond for the very people he was he was bombing. Those villagers saved his life. If not for those people, he would not ever become a, quote, senator and a war hero. And the thing he I will hate goops until the day I die. You broke and up. he felt it, the you, same way about black people. He, the only time he ever spent apologizing is when it affected a possible election that he was in. So I don't celebrate him as anybody's hero, and I do understand that you get it too. These people are sanitizing history as we watch. And it's, it's, it's bad when our people jump on board thinking that celebrating a warmonger somehow makes them more American. I mean, John Lewis just went too far when he said warrior for peace. I'm like, dude, I know you got cracked upside the head by police batons a bunch of times, but are you seriously losing your mind? Well, Scotty, I actually put up a little meme saying if if you believe it when people who claim they want peace say the only way to have peace is through war, who is a real fool? Exactly, exactly, Otis. And I don't know. I know he was practicing racism and that could have been his opposition to MLK, but I think he probably had a vendetta against Martin Luther King Jr. for that uh, why I'm against the war in Vietnam speech. Oh, yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. Because King said that war, we were the biggest purveyors of war. John McCain is a student of a uh, uh, academy that and teaches war. War is necessary. The world cannot exist without war. You don't go to any one of these branches of the military and become any kind of graduate without understanding your job is to raise war and that is the only way to keep civilization civil. That is their mantra. I told you I had a couple of commanders from Tuskegee uh, graduates and I got along with them worse than the white bigots because wow. I couldn't get them to understand. You can do your job, but you don't have to fall for the BS that this is the only way to have peace on Earth. Mm-mm-mm. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for... Appreciate it, man. Your your network, this platform you put together, eventually it's going to grow and it'll get the recognition that it should be getting. Thank you, Aldous. Thank you very much uh, for that. 
and uh, your commentary. All right, um, I'm going to get ready to get out of here almost gone three hours. <laughs> I didn't mean to, but hey, I wanted to get all the information out and I was able to. So I want to thank uh, our callers for calling in and sharing their views and perspectives. And I also uh, just want to remind you to support the prison strike against slavery as authorized by the 13th Amendment. All right. The strike is ongoing up until September the 9th. So do your part in circulating the news. With that said, y'all be safe behind these enemy lines as much as possible. We got slave catchers out there looking to make new slaves of us all. So y'all be be codified and just, you know, do your best to stay out of their crosshairs. With that said, peace and blessings to all. Gold dinar would have had serious consequences for the world financial system, but maybe.